And let's do the smart thing and have a quick word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for the time to be here. We just pray that our heart, mind, and soul would be focused on you. And Lord, just give us the wisdom and the guidance as we go through this, Lord, to go deeper in you. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, Proverbs 14. Continuing our study here through the book of Proverbs. And the ongoing themes in the book of Proverbs has always been wisdom and seeking wisdom and seeking guidance. And seeking wisdom and guidance even before we need it, because we know those situations in life are going to pop up where we need that wisdom and guidance. Now, here with Proverbs 14, it really is this kind of chapter that's full of all just these little different points. And the way we're going to kind of address this this morning is, what does a wise person do? What does a mature person do? And each one of these points is going to kind of show you and reveal to you what a wise, mature Christian does, because that's the whole point of this is the Bible talks about that idea of being immature. And we don't want to be immature in our walk. We don't want to be immature in our faith. We want to be wise in our walk with the Lord. We want to be mature in our walk with the Lord. And where does wisdom and maturity come from? From going deeper in your walk with the Lord. And the deeper you go in your walk with the Lord, the wiser and more mature you come. And that's the whole point of this. So as we go through Proverbs 14, we're just going to stop and ask these questions. What would a wise person do with this situation? So the first one that comes up is, what would a wise woman do in marriage? Because the first verse of this chapter actually deals with marriage. The wise woman builds her house, but the foolish pulls it down with her hands. Now, you've heard us say out here many times before, 90% of the marriage falls on the husband's shoulders. Men are called to be the loving leaders of the home. Men are called to be the spiritual leaders in the home. And 90% of that marriage falls on the man's shoulders to be that godly man that God has called him to be. And if the man is not the godly man he's called to be, generally speaking, the woman is not going to respond in love. Because it's tough. So what you see here in Proverbs 14, though, is now from the woman's perspective. Because most of the time when we talk about marriage, we're always talking about from the man's perspective. See, the wise woman builds up her house, but the foolish tears it down with her own hands. So this is what happens. This is just what I've seen in the years of counseling I've done. Is when the woman does not have that godly man in her life, when the woman does not have that godly leader in her life, in the form of the husband, she usually responds. And she usually responds in frustration. She usually responds in bitterness. And I'm not trying to be sexist here. She usually responds in words. And so what happens is the woman tears her house down, verse 1. And it's a foolish thing to do because she's frustrated. She's angry. She's upset. This is not what she signed up for. This is not what she thought marriage was going to be. This is not what she wanted at all. And the problem is that anger and frustration and bitterness then turns to her tearing her house down. 90% of the marriage falls on the husband's shoulders, but I personally believe 90% of the emotional state of the marriage falls on the woman's shoulders. This is what I've seen in my own marriage, and this is what I've seen in other people's marriages too. If the wife isn't happy, nobody is happy. And that's the truth. And some of you are nodding and saying amen. I see that. Because when the wife feels that love from the husband, when the wife sees that spiritual leader, she wants to then what? Build her house up. But the problem is when she does not see that in her husband, when she does not see that in her marriage, she becomes angry, she becomes frustrated, and then by her own actions and by her words, the marriage gets torn down. It's a tough place to be in. And if you're a gal in that spot right now, you know it's a tough place to be in to be working on the marriage when no one else is working on it. You know it's a tough place to be in where you're getting no help in any way whatsoever, and even though you're married, you feel like the single mom or the single parent there, and you're trying to do it all on your own. God says you don't tear down the house. It's not worth it. The wise woman builds it up. Pray for your husband. Encourage your husband to be that godly light and witness like the Bible says. So the first thing is here is the wise person, the wise woman, the mature woman, builds her house up. Well, look at the next one here. 
Look at verse 2. He who walks in his uprightness fears the Lord, but he who is perverse in his ways despises him. Let's continue this theme here for a little bit. Jump ahead to verse 9, if you will. It says, fools mock at sin, but among the upright there is favor. So what does a wise, mature person do? Well, a wise, mature person walks in uprightness and fears the Lord, but, but note what a wise, mature person does not do. They don't mock at sin, verse 9. He who is perverse in his ways despises him. See, this is what you see a lot of times, is, is things that are wrong. We know they're wrong. We laugh and joke and mock at it. And I heard a pastor say this one time, and it really hit me. He says, we laugh at what Jesus thought was serious enough to die for. And isn't that true? Those things that Jesus said, this is a serious enough sin that I need to go give my life on the cross, we sit here and we think it's funny. And that's mocking at sin. And you know, the Bible says in Galatians, if you're taking notes, write this down, Galatians 6, 7 through 8, it says, God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that also he will reap. And we've got to be careful. Sometimes those things that we find funny, sometimes those things that we laugh and joke about, Jesus says, no, that's something I died for. I hear the stories. You guys heard the stories too. People come in from work and they talk about what they did over the weekend and they think it's so funny that they passed out here. They think it's so funny that they threw up all over this from the party. It's like you're mocking sin. And God says, no, what's not mocked at? A mature believer realizes the severity of sin. God hates sin. I mean, he hates sin. Now, I want to make sure you abundantly know this. He doesn't hate the sinner. He hates sin. In fact, the book of Jude says so much so that we're supposed to hate even the garments, the clothes defiled by sin. We still love the person, but we hate the actions. And what has happened sometimes in Christianity now, it's become so difficult to call wrong, wrong. Because as soon as we start calling wrong, wrong, well, then we look like the bad guys. Well, we can't say that's wrong. Everybody's open to their own choice. Everybody's got their own opinion. No, I don't want to mock sin. If it's sin, it's sin. It's wrong. Jesus said it's wrong. He died for it. And a mature believer realizes right is right and wrong is wrong. And the mature believer then realizes, I don't want to mock those things that God calls sin. We want to realize that too as we go through it. The next thing a mature believer does, look at verse 3. In the mouth of a fool is a rod of pride, but the lips of the wise will preserve them. Now, I think almost every chapter here in the book of Proverbs, we've talked about the mouth. Watching what we say. Look at these other verses here real quick. Verse 5. A faithful witness does not lie, but a false witness will utter lies. And also look at verse 23. And all their labor is profit, but idle chatter leads only to poverty. So, how's the mouth? See, a wise person can control their words. In fact, James 3 comes out and says, if you really want to know what a wise, mature person is, check to see what they say. Because a wise, mature person will watch their words and will guard their tongue. Somebody who cannot control the words they say, they cannot control the words coming out of their mouth, is not a wise, mature person according to the word. And what does that lead to? Well, it leads to problems. You know, how many times have we heard this? I've heard people say this all the time. I couldn't help myself. You can help yourself. You can control when your mouth opens. You can control those words coming out of your mouth. A wise, mature person knows when to say something, but also knows when not to say something. And the Bible is saying here that we need to guard our mouth. We need to watch what we say, because as, if you don't watch what you say, what are you really doing? You're letting your emotions control you. And if you let your emotions control you, then the Lord's not controlling you. Look at verse 10 here. The heart knows its own bitterness, and a stranger 
does not share its joy, then also stay in the same thing and look at verse 13. Even in laughter, heart may sorrow. At the end of mirth may be grief. See, we live in an emotional world, and we're emotional beings. And part of being a believer is being able to control those emotions. And if you cannot control the emotions, if you cannot control the tongue, the Bible says that's not a wise, mature person. Because you're going to be put in situations here, maybe today, maybe tomorrow, maybe it's right now, where you really want to say something. You really want to do something. You really want to respond. And God says, it's this time to be quiet. And by you not saying something, that shows maturity. And that's the whole point here, is do we guard our lips and do we watch what we say? Like I said, once again, James 3 says, if you can guard your tongue, that shows you're a mature person, that the Lord can use that then. But here's the thing about emotions. Emotions are tough. Look at verse 10 again. The heart knows its own bitterness, and a stranger does not share its joy. See, some of you come in this morning, and you've got a lot of bitterness in your heart. You're in a really difficult situation. It's a tough day. It's a real tough day. But yet, you're putting a nice, big, happy smile on your face because you don't want anybody to know what's really going on. Hence verse 13. Even in laughter, the heart may sorrow. You're struggling. It's a struggle. It's a struggle to get here. It's a struggle to be here right now. Your life is falling apart, but you don't want anybody to know. So someone comes up to you today, and how are you doing? Oh, I'm doing good. And really what you're doing is lying. And we all do it, don't we? And why don't you want to open up your heart and share? Because look at the end of verse 10 again. A stranger does not share its joy. Yeah, you may know some of these people or maybe a casual relationship with some of these people, but you think, I'm not going to really open up right here, right now. And so what happens is those emotions stay inside. I, I'm all in favor. There has to be some times where you, you vent. There has to be some times where you can get that stuff off your chest and say, hey, will you pray for me? Will you encourage me? But here's the thing, and I just want to let you guys know this, that when you open up your heart to somebody, like it says in verse 10 there, they're not going to get it. They're fully not going to get what you're going through. I, I had a situation a few years ago where I was going through a tough time, and it was a really struggle. And, and I thought, I'm going to call this person up, and it was really difficult for me. I'm going to call this person up. I'm going to open up my heart and share this. So I called this person up, and I said, hey, you got some time to talk? And they said, yeah. So we started talking on the phone. And you could tell they, just, they weren't there. They, they, they were paying attention, but they just weren't following along. They weren't there emotionally. Where they weren't just there. And it was one of those things where I said, well, hey, I can tell you're busy and stuff, so I'll just let you go. And they're like, well, yeah, you know, if you ever still want to talk, let me know. And I remember I hung up the phone, and there was a frustration. There was a frustration because here I am opening my heart up to somebody. Here I am trying to say, hey, I'm going through this difficult time. I really need somebody to know and understand, and they weren't there. Because verse 10, only my heart knows my own bitterness. And it's also been flip-flopped. I remember uh, there was a situation a few years ago where somebody called me up and I was uh, giving a bath to uh, the two youngest boys. And they said, hey, is this a good time to talk? And I said, oh, yeah, yeah, we can talk. And I was so distracted. You know, you're trying to give a bath to the kids. It was a mess. I was so distracted. And I found out later on this person had told somebody, yeah, I called James up, but, you know, he didn't talk. He didn't. And I thought, boy, my heart really hurt on that. Because once again, this person was trying to open up their heart, and as they tried to open their heart up to me, I wasn't available to take care of it effectively. What do you do in those situations? What do you do when you have something so heavy on your heart, but you know no one else gets it, no one else understands? Well, if you're taking notes, write down this verse, Proverbs 18, 24. It says there's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. See, here's the thing. What do we do human nature-wise? Human nature-wise is I'm going through a difficult time, and I had a rough day at work, or I'm going through this tough time, so the first thing I need to do is who do I call, who do I talk to? 
And I don't care who you pick and who you call, how good of a friend that is, they're not going to know your own heart. And you're going to walk away from that conversation and be quite honest, a little disappointed, because you have an unfair expectation that they're going to fully know and understand everything you're going through. And the truth of the matter is they don't. There's only one person that does, and that's Jesus. And that's why we're supposed to go to him first. 1 Peter 5, 7 says, Cast your cares upon him because he cares for you. You go to the Lord, you hand it over to the Lord because he's the only one that says, I know and I understand. And the truth of the matter is some of you can come here to church and you can put the smile on your face and say everything's great. And really what you're doing is verse 13. You're hiding the sorrow in your heart and none of us will ever understand. And then as you walk away, you feel empty, you feel alone, but yet no one knows what you're going through. That's why it's so important to have that relationship with the Lord, to give it over to Him. Because I'm telling you right now, you will let down people in life, and the body of Christ will let you down. There's nobody in this world that I'm closer to or care more for than my wife. But you know what? There's times I've let her down, and there's times where I've called her, and I've really wanted to talk and share, and she wasn't available. She's busy taking care of the kids. She's got something else going on. She's distracted, and there's that mindset of this is the person I'm supposed to be closest to in the world and this person doesn't even have the time to talk to me. Now that can either lead me to bitterness and anger or I can say, oh boy, i got a friend that's six closer than a brother. Jesus, you got a little bit of time to chat. And that's the way it's supposed to be because if we allow those emotions to control us, boy, we're going to get ourselves in trouble. We're going to get ourselves in big trouble when we allow those emotions to control us. And what happens if you don't control the emotions? Look at verse 17. A quick-tempered man acts foolishly. And a man of wicked intentions is hated. Stay on this uh, same theme right here. Look at verse 29. He who is slow to wrath has great understanding, but he who is impulsive exalts folly. See, when you allow your emotions to control you, what are you going to be in verse 17? You're going to be quick-tempered. The Bible says you're acting like a fool. That's what it comes down to. And you guys all know somebody that as soon as they get worked up, the first thing they do is they get upset, they get angry, they lose their temper over tiny little things. And the Bible says that is not maturity. Maturity is not letting those little things get you so worked up. The Bible says if that's what you do, you're acting foolishly. Because verse 29, you're supposed to be slow to anger, and have great understanding. He who is impulsive exalts folly. When I see somebody that is controlled by their emotions, that is not a wise, mature believer. And it's tough to be in that state where there are emotions all over the place. We're an emotional being. God created us to be an emotional being. But we need to watch that. David wrote in Psalms, I said in my haste, all men are liars. Now, haven't we done that? Haven't we got frustrated and said, I'm never going back there. I'm never going to talk to them again. I'm never going to put myself in that position. We're in emotion. We're angry. We're frustrated. So therefore, we say these things we don't mean. Or God says a mature, wise person can control that emotion, can control that anger and that frustration. Why? Because one of the fruits of the spirits is what? Self-control. And if you're in a place or a position where that is not being able to be controlled, you have to stop and say, I'm letting the flesh get the best of me. I'm not letting the Lord guide and direct me. Because a wise, mature person does not allow their emotions to get the best of them. So what do you do, though, where you're trying to be the wise, mature person, you're not trying to let the emotions get the best of you, but you're dealing with somebody who's not a wise, mature person, and you're dealing with somebody whose emotions is getting the best of them? That's a tough one. Look at verse 7. 
Proverbs 14, 7. Go from the presence of a foolish man when you do not perceive in him the lips of knowledge. Get away from him. And that's a balance verse. Because you know what? Every single day you're going to be in the presence of a foolish man. You're going to be in the presence of a foolish man when you go to buy something at a store and the checkout person doesn't have a clue what they're doing. You're going to be in the presence of a foolish man when you go home and you talk to your spouse sometimes. Your boss is a foolish man sometimes. Your co-workers is a foolish man. And go home and take a long, hard look in the mirror. You'll see a foolish man there too. The point is, there's foolish people all over the place. So if we take this verse 7, basically, there's not a single person in the world I can talk to. This verse, though, in verse 7, is saying in those situations where emotion is getting the best of everything, where you see the tempers flaring and you see things getting out of control, sometimes the best thing you can do is say, I'm taking off now for a little bit. Because if I stay in this situation, I'm going to let my emotions get the best of me. I'm going to let my anger get the best of me. And sometimes I just need to leave the situation and say, you know what, we need to talk about this later. There's wisdom. See, it goes back to what we've said numerous times before. Wisdom is knowing when to say it, how to say it, what to say, and sometimes wisdom is not saying anything at all. Here's a verse where wisdom is saying sometimes you need to leave the situation and say, you know what, I'm not going to allow myself to get pulled down into this. And here's the thing. We're all hopefully brothers and sisters, hopefully all born again and saved. But here's the thing. Sometimes, even in church, you're going to serve with the foolish man. You're going to work with the person that is emotionally unstable. You're going to be around that. And it's really easy to reach a point of saying, I just don't want to deal with it. How many people have reached a point where they said, the reason I don't go to church is this. I've been wronged at church. I've been hurt at church. It's all hypocrites at church. Fill in the blank. And anytime someone comes up to me and says that, I say, you're absolutely right. As soon as you walk in this building, you are going to be wronged by somebody. You know why? Because you've got sin nature and they have sin nature. You're going to be hurt some, by somebody. I've been hurt more by the body of Christ than I have ever have been by the world. You know what? You're going to be let down. And I tell you right now, every single person in this room today is a hypocrite. We're all hypocrites. But that's why we're here, is to learn how to go deeper in a walk with Jesus Christ. See, but here's the thing. In emotion, then we say, I'm done. And it's easier, isn't it? Isn't it easier just to be done and not have to deal with people? Just show up at 9.59, leave at 11.31. I'm not going to do anything. I'm not going to get emotionally attached to anybody. I'm not going to pray. I'm not going to read. I'm not going to do anything. I'm just going to keep my distance and just be my own little God Christian and nothing else. Well, the problem with that is verse 4. Where no oxen are, the trough is clean, but much increase comes by the strength of an ox. This is one of my favorite verses in Proverbs, and it's a really kind of a strange verse. Growing up as a kid, we had both sheep and then we had pigs. And, you know, we had to haul the manure on a regular basis with the pigs. And, you know, if anybody's ever lived on a farm, if you've ever had to haul manure, it's not as pleasant as it sounds. Now, it would have been a lot easier... And we wouldn't have to haul manure if one simple thing would have happened, if we just didn't have pigs. If we didn't have pigs, there'd be no manure at all, right? Okay, the problem is if you don't have pigs, verse 4, you have no increase. The pigs brought in money. Part of the result of that was that you had to take care of the pigs and haul the manure. See, here's the thing. Some of us, spiritually speaking in ministry, we don't want any oxen. I just don't want to deal with people. And if I don't deal with people, the trough is clean. I have no oxen. I have no responsibilities. I have no nothing. The trough is clean ministry-wise. I don't have to deal with people. I don't have to deal with anything. And I know people that talk about how they're a Christian and they love the Lord, but they just don't get involved with church because when they get involved with church, it just becomes messy. 
Christianity is messy. The reason we're here today is because we're all messed up trying to become a better picture of Christ. And you know what? It would be easier just to stay home and not deal with anybody and not deal with anything. And you know what? Your trough would be clean. You don't have to deal with the oxen out here at church. But here's the problem. You would also not have any spiritual increase. See, God has designed this to work, to be a body. God has designed it to work that you work with me, I work with you, you encourage me, I encourage you, and we increase together in our walks with the Lord. But the problem is, when I leave you, or you leave me, or whatever, and I just become solo Christian, or you become solo Christian, yes, the trough is clean. There's no manure. But there's also no increase. See, back when this was written 3,000 years ago, you say, fine, you know what, I don't want to deal with the mess of having an oxen, I just want to have an ox. Okay, how are you going to get from point A to point B? How are you going to pull your wagon? How are you going to work your ground? The ox was a key part of everything that happened 3,000 years ago. Yes, life is cleaner without the ox, but there's no increase. And if you really go deep in your walk with the Lord, you have to be prepared for dirty troughs and stalls that happens when you work with the body of Christ. And it's not only in ministry, it's also in life and just everything. And just everything. You know, some, I told you a couple weeks ago that I told this to Dawn. I said, I know I'm going to regret this when the kids are 18. I said, but right now it would be kind of nice to have a quiet house. It's crazy at our house. The, the other day someone called, and I was, uh, where, I'm trying to think of where I was at. I think it was in the kitchen. And then I was in the kitchen trying to talk to this person. Elias and Judah came in, so I left the kitchen and went to the bedroom. And then Dawn had to put Layton down for a nap, so I left the bedroom and ended up in the laundry room. And then I was in the laundry room, so I had to bring stuff in. And it was just this constant life. I, I joked at the first service, if you look at my backyard, it looks like a toy bomb You know, went off. There's toys everywhere. And then I know, Marv, are you are going to pick on me again? You weren't at the first service, but Marv then gets up before he does the final song, has to lecture me about grandkids. And basically a toy bomb went off. What did you say? A toy bomb went off and it's going to go keep... You just... Yeah, Marv started talking about me having grandkids. I said, my oldest is five. And he's, and he's already... And then he started talking about great-grandkids. I, he was in crazy old man phase. I don't know what he was doing. I was so anyway... So, you know, like I said, my backyard looks like a toy bomb went off. And I joked, too, also, I said, my garage. My garage is an utter, absolute mess. And I said, you know, and I said, how easy would it be for my trough to be clean? No kids. The house is all picked up. Dawn has, like, ten things she likes to recycle. No wife. My garage would be picked up. <laughs> but, you know, the thing is, then there's also no increase. It's a spiritually empty, dead house. And, see, and that's the whole point, is... Yes, having kids creates issues and hassles. Being married creates issues and hassles. But there's also an increase that comes out of that. So the trough is dirty. The oxen are dirty. But it's worth it. And see, in ministry, it is messy. I heard somebody say that one time. Christianity is messy. But yet, if you distance yourself from it and you try to keep your little area clean, there's no spiritual increase. God has designed us to work together as a body, as a family, to go deeper in the Lord, and that's part of it. And as you go deeper in that walk with the Lord, that's where the blessing comes out of it. And it's a wonderful, wonderful thing. So a, a mature believer, as we talked about, the first one, the mature wife, builds her house up, doesn't tear it down. The other mature believer, 
They don't mock at sin. They see the severity of sin and they realize, Lord, you died for this. The mature believer watches their mouth. The mature believer does not let emotion get the best of them. The mature believer realizes they give everything over to the Lord in prayer. They cast their cares upon Him. The mature believer realizes ministry is also tough. They realize that ministry is difficult. They, they see this. And the mature believer also, as verse 7 says, knows when to say something, but they also know when to back away and when to leave. That's maturity. And that's tough. And when you get that all figured out, let me know. Because that is a difficult place to be in. Really what it all comes down to is this. The mature believer has their focus on the Lord. Look at verses 26 and 27. In the fear of the Lord, there is strong confidence, and his children will have a place of refuge. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life to turn one away from the snares of death. See, the mature believer realizes God is our refuge and strength, verse 26. They realize that. The mature believer realizes, verse 27, the Lord is life. He's the one that gets him through. See, when I see somebody going through a difficult time, Maturity is, I really need to stop and give this over to the Lord. I need to pray about this. I need to seek godly counsel. Immaturity is, you know what, I'm going through a tough time, but I just need to buckle down and I can get through this. You, you can't get through it. It's impossible for you to get through it. You, you don't have a refuge. You don't have strength. You can't get through it. It comes through the Lord. The Lord is the one that gets you through it. And a mature believer keeps that opinion of God. And it says, Lord, I want what you want to get me through this. And what does God want you to focus on as you go through life? Well, it's amazing how simple it really comes down to. Look at verse 25. A true witness delivers souls, but a deceitful witness speaks lies. What's the main thing that God wants you to do? Verse 25, he wants you to see souls delivered. How simple is that? How many times have we said that out here? Your main purpose in life is to do what? Is to see people get saved in Jesus Christ. Years ago... Somebody asked what our mission statement was out here at church. And, you know, like, we're, we're not big on words or flow or, or trying to be all fancy and stuff. So we said, you know what, just came off the top of our head. Here's our mission statement. I think it's even on your bulletin. Is I said this. I said, if you're not saved, we want to see you saved. If you are saved, we want to see you go deeper in the Lord. That's the mission statement. And I think Nancy took it and made it sound more eloquent or something like that. But the point is, isn't that how simple it is? If you're here this morning and you're not saved, my hope and prayer is that you have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And that's what we want to tell you about is God loves you. He died on the cross for your sins to take care of that burden of sin and to give you entrance into heaven. If you are saved, I want you to walk out of this service today deeper in your walk with the Lord. That's what we want. As we want in verse 25, a true witness delivers souls. I want to see your soul go deeper in its walk on in the Lord. That's what we want. See, so often, people come in and they want to talk about this or they want to talk about that. And really what we want to do is get the focus back to God. If you put God first, everything else falls into place. Matthew 6.33 says, Seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added unto you. If your eyes are on the Lord, it gets you through everything. But yet when your eyes get off the Lord, you'll get tossed to and fro by the things of the world. Look here in verse 15. The simple believes every word, but the prudent considers well his steps. Verse 18, the simple inherit folly, but the prudent are crowned with knowledge. See, when your eyes are on the Lord, you're getting wisdom from him, and therefore you're not the simple. Here's the problem. The most gullible people I've ever met in the world are Christians. We are so gullible. 
And that's why Jesus said, I want you to be wise as serpents, but as peaceful as doves. We are so gullible on things. All of us. I, I remember the first, uh, it was one of the first few weeks I was out here as pastor, there was this guy that showed up with this kid, and he came and he gave me this sob story about what was going on in life. And I, and I was so touched by it. I remember going to Dawn, and I, I said, what, whatever cash you have, Dawn, give it to me. We want to help this guy out. Next week, Gal showed up with a kid that looked just like the kid that was there the Sunday before, with a sob story of everything that was going on in life. And I realized, wait a second. This family is trying to use and abuse the church. They're not interested in a deeper walk with the Lord. They're interested in using and abusing the church. And they know the system. And the simple believes every word. And after years, I finally reached a point now where if somebody outside from the church, where I don't know them, if I know people in the church, it's different, but if outside from the church, if they call and ask for help, we've got a list of questions we go through. Because you know what? Your story sounds really good. But you know what? The simple believe every word. I want, to, I want to dig a little bit more into this. It's not that I'm doubting. It's not that I'm questioning. But the simple believe every word, and I want to get down to the bottom of this. And as Christians, we are so, so gullible sometimes, and we see it all the time. You know, get emails all the time, those forwarded emails, right, that you get a lot of times. And it's amazing how many of those forwarded emails have an element of truth, but a whole lot of fiction. And you go and you look online about those, some of those emails, and it's like, ah, oh, it's not true. It's not true, but yet we're sending it on as fact. One of my favorite stories happened from maybe the mid-'80s, and some of you may remember this, where it was over in the Scandinavian countries. I believe it was over in Finland. They were said they were digging a hole, and they dug this deep, deep hole, and it started getting really warm, and they said that they were getting near hell. And they lowered a microphone down in the hole, and they had recorded the sounds of demons and people in anguish. You remember that? And then what happened was Christian news networks, mainline Christian news networks, picked this story up and then presented it as fact. As fact. And I have the news articles back in my offices of, uh, where in, in the 80s they wrote this down as fact, and it came out and it was all just a big fake story. Just, and the whole point of it was the people that did it was to show how gullible Christians are are. Guys, we are a gullible bunch. I want to believe. I want to believe when the person comes up to me and tells me the story. I want to believe it. I want to believe they want to work on their marriage. I want to believe they want to go deeper in the Lord. I want to believe it. But the truth of the matter is actions speak louder than words. When I first started out here, there was a certain guy that kept telling me how he wanted to go deeper in the Lord. And, and I said, you know, I, hey, I, I'm available. You know, what's... And so... Let's meet over in Ottawa. So we, we were going to meet over in Ottawa. He never showed up. Okay, that happens. Things pop up. Called him, couldn't get a hold of him. Called him later. He goes, Oh, yeah, man, sorry. I, I forgot, overslept, fill in the blank. Okay. So met up again, and this time we we're going to meet in Lipstick. So go over there, show up, doesn't show up again. And it's like, You know what? Uh, hey, sorry, I forgot about it and everything like that. So kept going. I want to go deeper, I want to go deeper. And I remember going home and telling Dawn, and my wife is, is one nasty person, you don't want to mess with her. And I, and I remember her saying, the next time he wants to get together, tell him you'll meet him out at church. And I remember saying, oh, I can't do that, he's going through a tough time, that's going to make him put more effort into it, I should be able to go to him. And I realized the wisdom that she was saying. Is I'm willing to go meet people. You guys know, I'll, I'll drive over to your place, I'll meet with you. But the thing is, if someone's not willing to put any effort into it, you have to stop and say, wait a second, do you really want to go deeper in the Lord? 
And it's just like the person that comes in and says, I'm really struggling with this, I need help. So you give them the scriptures, you give them the wisdom, you give them what the Lord says. You chat with them later. Did you get a chance to look at those? Did you get a chance to pray through that? Oh, no. Then how serious are you about wanting to go deeper in the Lord? If I go to the doctor because I'm sick, and he gives me prescriptions that can help me feel better, where's my next step? Next step is I go to the pharmacist. And I said, I want the prescription. I want to fill this. I want to take this. This is what's going to help me feel better. So what happens is sometimes, spiritually speaking, is people say what I want to hear. I had a situation just real recently. ran into somebody. haven't seen them for a real long time at church. Never mentioned church. I just haven't seen them. So I'll go up to them, talk to them, hi and stuff. And never said anything. And it was, it was a Saturday a while ago. And the guy looked at me and said, I'll see you tomorrow. It's like I didn't even mention church. And did I see him the next day? No, I didn't. Went over and egged his house then. So, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, the simple believe every word, but the prudent considers well his steps. You know what? There is wisdom in sometimes saying, you know what? Let me think about this. Let me pray about this. Let me seek the Lord. Jesus said, wise as serpents, peaceful as doves. There's wisdom. And that wisdom goes right along with verses 20 and 21. The poor man is hated even by his own neighbor, but the rich man has many friends. He who despises his neighbor sins, but he who has mercy on the poor, happy is he. And jump ahead to verse 31. He who oppresses the poor reproaches his maker, but he who honors him has mercy on the needy. There's wisdom. You're going to run into some people. I'm going to run into some people. It's going to give me a great story on why they need this, that, or that. God says, I want you to help. See, this is the hard part. These are what I call balance verses. Jesus in the Gospel says, Give to everyone who asks of you. That's a tough verse. Give to everyone who asks of you. If that's the only verse in the Bible, we would never get anything done because people would very soon figure out, if I just go up to a Christian and say, I need this, they have to do it. See, but there's once again balance verses. The simple believe every word. Be wise as serpents, peaceful as doves. And so, yes, I want to give to everyone who asks of me, but at the same time, I want to respect the fact that there's people that are in need, but I have to separate needs from wants. And sometimes people come to us, and they're expressing a want and not a need. There's a big, big difference there. Look at verse 31 again. He who oppresses the poor reproaches his maker, but he who honors him has mercy on the needy. The needy. That's a key word right there is we want to, in wisdom, help those that need help, and we want to, in wisdom, help those that we can help go deeper in their walk with the Lord as long as they want to. If they choose to go deeper, we are here to help them. We are here to bless them as much as we possibly can. And how does this happen? Well, it goes back to verse 26. Our foundation's on the Lord. He's our strength. Since our foundation's on the Lord, verse 25, I want to be a true witness. I want to see souls saved. I want to see people go deeper in their walk with the Lord. That's what I want. And as I do that then, a wise, mature person is, is prudent. A wise, mature person seeks wisdom and does not believe every word. And how's this as a segue? The simple believe every word. Verse 34. Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. Well, verse 34, what is going to happen here in about a month? It's election time again, isn't it? And as election time comes up, let's remember that verse, the simple believe every word. There's a lot of promises going around, isn't there, right now? And you've got to remember this. 
and this is when it comes to election, this is what I'm going to say about this, is we are very, very blessed to live in a nation where we have the freedom to vote. We really are. And what, what a freedom that is and what a privilege that is to be able to go cast a ballot for the man or woman that we feel will do the best job. And I just want to encourage you, as you get ready in this next month to go vote, I just encourage you, seek the Lord. You have the freedom to vote, but yet wisdom is also saying, Lord, who would you want me to vote for to put in that position there? Because righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. So as you get to exercise your freedom to vote, and what a privilege that is, exercise that freedom to vote also in prayer. To say, Lord, I want to bring the right man or woman in this position that's going to help bring righteousness that is going to help exalt a nation. Because that's the wise, mature thing to do. Marv, if you want to come forward here for the final song. So Proverbs 14, what's wisdom and maturity? You've heard this before. It's building up 